I'm just saying, with with the murder hornets on the way, anything to keep me inside and reading is... <sighs> Those things are huge, man. Okay, what what would be the worst animal combination? Rhino porcupines. See, I was... I was going to say, like, jellyfish mosquitoes. Uh, I mean, shark snakes are pretty bad. Or, uh, or like, shark condor would probably be terrifying. Yeah. Oh, snake spider. Snake spider, I'm out of here. Just, I'm gone. S- see, scorpions, scorpions are kind of already that. They're like, they're like snake spider crabs. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 51. In this episode, we are talking about Maggie Smith's Good Bones. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other. Episode 51. We've done it. We're on the, we're, we're, we're now on the other side of the hill. Yeah. We're head. It's all downhill from here to a hundred, <laughs> and then at a hundred, if the the murder hornets haven't killed us all off, or the you know coronavirus is still kicking around, then then we'll we'll go from there maybe. But we'll see. But yes, Ryan, hello. How are you? I'm good. It's it's weird to. I, I feel like we should be settling into this uh, digital recording thing, and it's it's weird not to be able to sit across from you and and see you as we as we do these podcasts. But I'm good. It is. We're gonna. We're going to have to invest in some, like, video. Well, I mean, I have a camera. I don't know if you have a camera, but we'll, yeah. we'll have to invest in some, like, video setup system for us because it is. It's it's odd, but I feel like it's kind of uh, – I know we're getting way off topic here just to go ahead and start the episode off. But you know what? We're, we're like, two months deep in this coronavirus thing, so yeah. I feel like I'm just unhinged to begin with. And I, I said it last episode that it was probably going to be that way, but – Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's – you know, it is odd. You think of podcasts, it's like, well, you know, it's all about – talking and all that anyway but yeah it is it is odd it is strange not having that sort of uh presence yeah well it's so much of of. so much of what we say like you know you you can tell when somebody when when like you need to say something or you know you disagree and you're like oh you you don't you don't think this and you know or whatever and those are the things that that are that are kind of missing i think sometimes we still have the you know same conversations but um, I think we're missing the obviously the visual cues um, that we're also used to when we talk to anybody about anything, really. So oh, absolutely, but you know, we're holding holding everything together. I'm I'm just thankful that I can still like leave and go work. You yeah, know, regardless of how much of the Rona I'm going to get at my work. But <laughs> oh man, like I just I can't I can't be continue being cooped up and i know obviously it's like boohoo there are worse things in the world than you know having to sit at home and in an air condition you know and get my uber eats delivered to me and watch yeah the last dance on espn but whoo i tell you human beings were not meant to be uh we're not meant to be cooped up so long no we we are not but even uh even when things are difficult you know i th- i think we all realize that there will be some positive changes, you know, in the future. Parts of the world are starting to, you know, amend their their orders, and you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, we're we're doing the same in certain places, like Texas here. Um, I was gonna say, yeah, we actually just, you know, two days ago from the time when we were recording this, we had some stuff open back up. I actually had to go buy a Sally Beauty Supply to get some hair clippers. God knows, I needed a haircut after not <laughs> trimming my hair for years. So yeah. Uh, it's, it was really a whole year that you didn't cut your hair. 
One whole year, yeah. Wow, that is uh, that is Mi- middle of April last year was the last time I cut my hair, so I picked a bad time to wait right before this, but yeah, we got to figure it out in the end. Anyway, we're getting way off topic here. Let's let's unless you got something else. Well, I was just gonna say the 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 one thing that is really nice about uh about this whole situation is that you can still order books uh online, and uh you know I've I've read a ton more the last couple months, um, even though I still knocking out like a book a week basically under normal circumstances but you know i've picked up a lot of stuff that was on my shelf that i just haven't read uh and you know a few things that i was this is pathetic but i was watching uh well i shouldn't say it's pathetic but this is uh a sign you're getting older i was watching c-span 2 the other day uh on my birthday nonetheless um because there was an author it's the uh, gift that keeps giving. Yeah, there uh, there was an author on there <laughs> talking about a book that he had written called A Thousand Books You Should Read uh, Before You Die. And uh, he was just kind of going through like how he he made this list and whatever. And, of course, by the end of that, I ended up ordering it. Uh, so, so that's – okay, that's the ultimate like – not not scam, but that's the ultimate like game right there. Right? Yeah, you're like, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book about all these other books so that my content will be about all these other good books. And I could have made like I could have just done a list, but I'm gonna put it in book form so that people have to get my book to read my opinions on. The and guy's got it figured out. He, right he there. does. He does. And the funny, he's just printing money. Yeah, people love lists. And the funny part is that so it's it, I think it's been out for a, for a bit. Um, you know, so the one that I got on Amazon is just like a like a paperback version, right? Um, sure. But they have a uh, a very nice, and that one was like twenty bucks, right? Normal normal book price. Yeah. Uh, the the one that I found first when I Googled it was like a very nice like gold leaf like spined hardback copy for a hundred and thirty dollars uh, from from his publisher. Uh, but yeah. So you're not going to have any money to buy the other books if you're buying, you know, well, the that's that's the thing. Collector's edition of the book about the books. Yeah, you get. definitely definitely it's don't very need to meta. Do that. But yeah, the one th- the one thing that is nice about all of this is that I've been much more involved in in books and writing and all that kind of stuff uh, because I've been driving myself crazy going from work to, you know, dinner to video games to, you know, talking to my wife. And so I've, I've needed things to break things up. And that has been sure been literary and good bones was uh was a big part of that for the the last few weeks i read it a couple times uh in in preparation for the episode and um yeah it was nice uh, was that was that your transition back that is that is my perfect solid yeah i kind of i kind of made it abrupt by by calling it out but yeah this is gonna be this will be an interesting episode Mm -hmm. i I would wager to say it's going to be a pretty traditional episode in the stance that we're not going to vary too much from the formula, but I think the the subject matter is going to be interesting because if you've been with us for a while, you know, we have done poetry before, but it was a little bit different last time because we had Christina, the author of the poetry collection that we were reading on with us, and it was more of a dialogue with her and less sort of uh, the structure that we normally approach a book. So this will be the first time that we actually have a, a poetry collection. And I guess I would liken it more to our uh, like Sedaris short story collection, which yeah. it was kind of, I, I feel like there's a few different ones that kind of stood out to me that we'll probably highlight on instead of going through each one, you know, and yeah. giving it out of whatever stars, but it, it will be a pretty traditional episode. We'll tell you a little bit about the author. 
Um, I'll give you a brief summary, I guess. It's a poetry collection. It's kind of odd to do a summary, but we'll, yeah. we'll do that. Then we'll just get into it. Uh, I know you've got... you you you're kind of a you're kind of a, a poetry aficionado i guess if compared to me at least i i am the caveman poetry reader so <laughs> we'll of course have the uh the the differing of mindsets when reading this and yeah. maybe some some external things in general to kind of bring a a broader uh level of context to some of the stuff that's going on in here and then you know, of course, at the end, we'll we'll rate it with our pen to three tier four for getting rid of it five. If we're going to write a book about the poetry books that we were going to get rid of and then we sell it to someone for, <laughs> for them to read about all the poetry books we would have gotten rid of. And then uh, we'll tell you, of course, about what we've got coming up on uh, future episodes. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't haven't read the book, highly recommend that, that you go out and uh, and get this one. Uh, it. You can get it through uh, Tupelo Press. Of course, you can get it off, you know, Amazon and and all of that as as well. But generally, you know, especially for uh, smaller writers and uh, and publishers, uh, more of the profit ends up with the people who deserve it. Uh, that if you get it directly from uh, from the publisher as opposed to going through like Amazon. So, uh, just something to think about. But let's let's. Well, talk. I got yeah. I got I got mine through Amazon, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, because it's just the first place I go to. You can't, you can't, you can't argue with the convenience there. There is just, you know, whether it's going to half price books, which you can't do right now, you've got to order online and their website is atrocious. uh, And then you've got to go, you know, pick up stuff. That's not great. I mean, Amazon's the easiest way to get stuff. So no, no judgment. And I got to rep the brand, you know, I'm I'm an Amazon employee. I work for Amazon. So I got to rep the brand. Um, so let's let's talk about Maggie Smith. First of all, let me say that Maggie Smith, the poet, is not that Maggie Smith, the one that that everybody knows from uh, from the movies. Um, Harry Potter. What else has she been in uh, more recently than that? That's I Looks always like think I'm of pulling her, her up on IMDb right now. I always I always think of her um, in Harry She's Potter a, um, just yeah. because of my Harry wife. Potter, Sherlock Nobes, Downton Abbey. Apparently. Oh, Downton Abbey. She's fantastic in. Uh, the best exotic marigold hotel, Nomeo and Juliet. That was a good one. That so we've got have not we've got quite the looks like a lot of these are like British. Yeah, I don't really I'm not so familiar with all of these. Gosford Park. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Ooh, Sister Act two, back in the habit. There we go. Secret Garden. Nice. Oh, she was in the Sister Act. There we go. Oh, oh. wait, she was great. She was Granny Wendy and Hook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's all coming together. Yeah. So that is not this Maggie uh, Smith. This Maggie Smith is an American poet uh, and and writer uh, who lives in Ohio. She's lived in the same area as you kind of picked up um, probably as you were uh, as you were reading this book. Um, but she was uh, she was born in 1977. She has her um, Bachelor of Arts from Ohio Wesleyan and then an MFA from uh, Ohio State, which is uh, has a fantastic creative writing program. Um, and uh, she's been uh, the emerging writer lecturer at Gettysburg College um, from 2003 to 2004. She went on um, to do some uh, work with uh, children's books um, and then eventually um got around to publishing uh, a lot of her own poetry. So um, she's got good bones, of course. Um, she's got the well uh, speaks of its own poison uh, lamp of the body. Um, and then she's got some, uh, some other chat books, um, which are just shorter collections of, uh, of poetry. They're not full length. You 
call them, call them chat books when they're when they're not full length. So um, she has a national endowment for the arts fellowship in creative writing. Um, she was uh, part of the Sustainable Arts Foundation Fall 2014 and the Ohio Arts Council Individual Excellence Award 2007 and 2010 were given to her. So um, she's her poetry has been in uh, some definitely some big journals, the Paris Review, Gettysburg Review, Iowa Review, Southern Review, Georgia Quarterly, and uh, Shenandoah, just to, just to name a few. So um, it's always funny to me that poetry, or actually I should say literary journals, are always reviews. I don't know why why they got onto that, that terminology, but it is what it is. So uh, obviously she's a mother, um, as, uh, as we see from this book. So can you give us a more concise summary of this collection other than it deals with motherhood. It's it's uh, I mean, it kind of deals with motherhood. I mean, it's it's you know, it, it kind of hits on all things, uh, including just sort of the difficulties, I guess, of existence, but mostly in motherhood and the complexities around bringing your children up in the world and the odd things that they do and feel and everything around that. I suppose my my poor caveman brain would decipher from this this collection. So. <laughs> So speaking of your of your caveman brain, I'm I'm assuming that you probably haven't read a lot of poetry. One since we probably did Christine's collection last year uh, on the podcast, and I'm assuming that even prior to that, your your poetry reading was probably just the stuff you had to read in like high school and or maybe college. Uh, yeah. I mean, mostly it would have been any assigned works previous to, um, I guess whatever little bits, you know, I feel like it's one of those things that just, uh, you're so, and maybe you can get on this in a little bit, but kind of through social media or through other outlets, you kind of are, you get little bits of that Mm -hmm. here and there through people's posts or anything like that. And I, you know, I, I take some of that in for, for what it is, but as far as actually delving into a, uh, a poetry collection. Um, no, this is this is the first time, short of of Christina's collection last year, that I've actually sat down and read um, an entire collection that wasn't, you know, like uh, where the sidewalk ends when yeah. I was a child. Yeah, or, you know, all the all the Shel Silverstein stuff, um, which I loved, by the way, when I was a kid. So oh yeah, for maybe sure. it's maybe it was just one of those things when I grew up, the the caveman poet portion of my brain developed and decided to move on to nonfiction because I didn't even go straight to fiction, you know, but yeah. Yeah. So this was, this was, uh, this was, yeah, this was the first kind of, I guess, substantial collection of works all kind of centrally, like centrally, uh, coalesced around a theme since, since, yeah, since we read, uh, more than you were. So does, do you, did you feel like you had to like change gears mentally when, when you were reading, um, this versus like when we when we read a novel or does does it kind of feel the same to you i feel i feel more of a i guess i don't know if it's an internalized pressure or just more of okay it's poetry so there is it's obviously there's a story being told but i feel like so much more there's a lot more pressure to i guess take things in stylistically whether Mm -hmm. it's oh the way that spacings were done or the way that sentences are broken up or the the uses of words or turns of phrase or or repetition things like that um that does 
like that first time through when I'm reading it, it is a little bit, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the retention that I get from those things is a lot lower. Cause I'm, I, I guess I'm just sort of, you know, as I go into it, as I dive into it, I'm going like, Oh, all right, well I gotta, whew, all right, we gotta stretch out <laughs> and make sure that we're giving it its due the first time through. And then usually, you know, I'll like the second time through when I kind of get a gist for what's coming at me subject wise, I can kind of just relax and mellow out a little bit. So I think the biggest thing for me is poetry is definitely something that lends itself to, to multiple reads. Whereas mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, you know, our traditional long form fiction, there's so much time and page and words and count, you know, spent towards setting up the story and developing. That's, that's, I think part of it too, is, you know, you only have so much to kind of get this glimpse of a story from, right? So it's, you. I feel like in my mind, I'm hyper-focused and hypercritical on like every single thing that I read in order to kind of make sure that I'm getting what I'm supposed to get out of this, which is probably not the way you're supposed to read poetry because I don't think that it's set up in a way that you're supposed to be like, oh, this is exactly specifically what I'm trying to get across to you and what you get. I, I understand there's a bit of ambiguity there. But, sure, yeah. You know, as someone who... As someone who didn't really have a background in poetry or spent an extensive amount of time, I guess, in my educationally formative years uh, reading poetry and understanding poetry, that is the first thing that jumps out to me is that it's like, okay, well, there is something specifically uh, woven in here that it's very important that I kind of can piece it together. And I don't know if that's doing poetry as an art form or you know collections like this a disservice for reading it that way it's just kind of unfortunately i guess how i approach it as someone who's not as versed in that yeah no i th- I, th- I think you you definitely have the the right approach i i i liken um poetry to sort of like you know going to an art museum in, in some sense right um so you have you know typically especially when you're reading a collection poems tend to be grouped together or ordered in a certain way so that, you know, similar styles or similar themes are uh, are together. And, and there is usually um, some kind of coherent flow through, you know, from the beginning to, to the end, similar to the way that, you know, an art museum would, would stage, you know, certain periods of, of art or whatever. Um, and there is some continuity to to where those things are, right? Like you wouldn't find like a probably your postmodern uh, art gallery right next to like Renaissance paintings. Um, you know, they may go uh, chronologically, uh, typically, uh, and, you know, they might put certain things next to each other. Um, and then, you know, even when you're in an, an art gallery, right, y- you can walk up to a painting or, or a piece and just look at it and go, OK, it is what it is. Right. Um, or you can stay there and choose to linger, uh, look at the brush strokes, look at uh, the construction, uh, if it's if it's a sculpture or something, and really admire not only the overall form, but the method in which it was it was constructed, right? And depending on how you want to do that, um, poetry is is very much the same way, um, especially good poetry, you know, like like we've read here, you can just read a collection and, and walk away uh, with a certain, you know, impression of this. And, and there might be tidbits that really jump out at you and grab you uh, for, you know, whatever reason, or you can sit down and really go, okay, why did she choose this word? Why is she using line breaks in a certain way? Uh, what is she trying to say with, you know, uh, an indentation on this, this line um, as opposed to everything else being left justified or whatever it is. Um, but the cool thing about poetry is that um, you don't have to do that, just like art, right? You could go to an art museum. You don't have to be an art historian 
and you can still enjoy a beautiful painting um, without knowing absolutely every detail about it. And that's the thing that I that I really love about uh, especially modern poetry, right? So the things that like are sort of forced reading, I'll, I'll call it in uh, in high school and, and college are typically, you know, they stop sometime in the in the early 1900s and you don't get a lot of um, more modern poetry that tends to be a lot more approachable, tends to be sure. um, a lot less figurative than uh, than everything before, especially, uh, you know, the things that that we that we read um, in probably senior and and uh, and junior uh English classes, you know, all the all the British and uh, early American poetry that is just steeped in symbolism that you have to have some kind of understanding of the time or what what a certain symbol uh, in that time meant. Right. Like a red rose or a white rose, um, you know, certain flowers are, are were extraordinarily symbolic. So you don't need that so much anymore. Um Certainly poets use that, but that's that's kind of a nice a kind of a nice thing. Um, so, yeah, huge tangent. But, I, you know, I think that you can approach poetry wherever you are as a reader, um, despite the fact that what we've probably read the most of or we're forced to read, uh, you don't necessarily have to do that. Or don't have that liberty. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, I mean, overall, like. Did you did you enjoy um, this this poetry collection without like you know you know getting too deep into like what we actually think about the the collection? But like your overall kind of feeling about this was it like did you walk away hopeful? Did you think some of it was like so overbearing? I, no, so I've I've and I guess this this is uh, the the other side of it for me too is I I enjoyed it, but I don't think there's any time that I've ever like not enjoyed uh, a poem or poetry that I've read regardless of whether it has like a profound you know if I connect with the the nuts and bolts of what it's about or what mm -hmm. you know message they're trying to send or what you know they're trying to depict or what world they're trying to build I feel like um I just i don't think my brain is hardwired to really connect in those ways. I will say it is slightly different. I, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before the show is the, you know, the titular poem, good bones was written all back in what, 2016. Yep. And it, it, it got popular before this collection was made and it, you know, it blew up on the internet and got shared. And I'm almost positive. I saw this poem in some form or fashion prior to it being in this book. Cause there's a lot of bits in there that seemed very familiar, like, you know, oddly familiar as though you'd read it before. Um, but I, I vaguely remember if I had seen it, it was something that it was just like, huh, okay. That seems a little bit like pessimistic and then kind of like passed it off. Um, uh, whereas now, you know, being a few years, I guess, removed from that and just, familial situation that I'm in now, you know, with, with a child of my own and kind of these very similar minded thoughts within, uh, you know, my head that there, there is that level of connection to these sorts of things. So as, as strange as it is, I guess as someone who never really, I read poetry and I can appreciate it. And it's kind of like at an arm's length, there was a bit, uh, in this collection that I felt a little bit more, of a personal connection with than I had in any sort of thing previously, which was surprising to me. Um, pleasantly surprising. So that's good. I, I, 
I, I knew the content coming in and I didn't really want to, you know, tip my hat to exactly what it was. Cause I was, I was kind of hoping that you would have that kind of reaction as, as you're reading it, because, you know, obviously being a, being a parent is, you know, is universal. There's certainly some unique themes in this collection, you know, with sort of being a single mother and, uh, right. and having kids that are a little bit older, but you know, I would assume as a parent, you think about the same things regardless of, of what age they are. And I think, you know, especially with, with the poem, good bones, um, you know, there, you do hope, you know, your children, you know, aren't sort of corrupted by the world. Right. Um, and you do hope that they can make it better than, than you have been able to. Um, and I, there's been a lot of discussion around, you know, whether that's like a, an optimistic poem or whether it's, it's a bit pessimistic. Did, do you have any feelings well, about its overall tone? I mean, I feel, I, I mean, I feel that it's more like there's room there for, I guess, optimism, but it's a very like jaded optimism. It seemed to me that it, it definitely does shade more towards pessimistic. I mean, Sarah, uh, I let her read it because I was like, oh yeah, this is the titular one. Maybe you'll have more of a connection to this being a mother and all. And she was like, eh, it just seems a little pessimistic. Like I'm very optimistic about things. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I can, I can definitely see where you uh where you can pull that from but yeah i would definitely say it's i don't think it's wholly pessimistic uh work but i think it definitely shades more pessimistic with a bit of sort of jaded optimism in the kind of you know idea of well you know it's it's got good bones you know you can every generation has a new opportunity to make their own way right and to shape their environment shape their world around them for hopefully the better and as though you've kind of seen this progression of, of lineage and where you kind of go, well, here's all this awful stuff that kind of comes along with existing and the bad things in our world, but I'm hoping to kind of bring you up in a way to, to work against that or to not fall victim to that or to not um, become disillusioned by that. You know, there there's still that idea that, you know, half of the world is a terrible, 50% terrible, even though it's a convert, uh, conservative estimate, you know, you can still kind of draw from the wealth or from the strength of the positive idea of there being good in the world and for you to strive towards reinforcing that or to growing that percentage. So I, I don't think it's wholly pessimistic, but I do think it does kind of have a bit of like a jaded optimism to it. Yeah. I mean, I think I think certainly if, if you look at the the way that the poem ends, right. I, I, th I think that it's, it's fully intended to be something that is hopeful and, and forward looking, but certainly is, is pessimistic about the, you know, current state of affairs of, you know, whatever, whatever time period, um, you know, you want to supplant this in. So I was, I was kind of curious, like what you thought about as, as a father um, about teaching, uh, your kids about the world um, should you shelter them in the way that she implies in in that poem from the reality that you know there is a lot of very bad stuff that that occurs in the world and um, there are a lot of people who are very selfish um, and you know don't consider you know the greater the greater good right um, those are things that they will inevitably discover on their own as, as life progresses. Um, but as a parent, like, is it, is it your job to, to shelter them from that or to educate them? Um, 
then maybe you don't you you don't have a philosophy around that. I mean, I don't I don't know that I would going into being a parent, but I, I'd love to know your thoughts about how you treat your kids when it comes to those difficult conversations about the world. Well, you know, luckily, I guess for me, I still have some time to figure that out because <laughs> they're not they're not quite, uh, you know, Michael, my, you know, the he's he's almost two. I guess yeah. he's uh, he's he's just over a year and a half. So we're still not at that point yet where we're kind of teaching a lot of about life to begin with. You know, we're, we're working on the basics like this is this. This is this. Right, <laughs> these right. are letters, numbers, you know, foundation of all these sorts of things. But. I don't know. I my thought process on it, not that I've you know spent an extensive amount of time because it's one of those things that's it's difficult. You know, it is. I don't think there's any one correct way to approach, um, you know, uh, teaching your children about the world in that way. Or I, I don't think that there's necessary that you can fault people for sort of keeping the worst elements away until, you know, they're perhaps older. Or there's situations that present themselves to give you ideal, you know, opportunities to teach uh, them in that way. Nor do I think it's uh, appropriate to just lead in with, well, the world's terrible. Expect the worst from everybody. All this, you know, you need to be prepared for this and, you know, always have your guard up and all these other sorts of things. Make sure that you're doing for yourself because no one else is going to look out for you after there. Um, and I think that's the 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 point of maybe not the point of this of this poem but maybe i think some of the point of the the back and forth within it kind of the dissension within there because it's well there are these horrible things that they're going to find out about that i'm sure as a parent you want to do everything you can to prepare them for so that they can not suffer perhaps in ways that you've suffered or in ways that others have suffered by not learning from those sorts of mistakes um but at the same time you know, you and I, you know, I even look back to when I was a kid, you know, my mom could do all she wanted to to prepare me for some, you know, for not making mistakes. But at the end of the day, my mistakes are my own. The things that I do, the the world that I experience is going to be really dependent upon the things that I do as as I grow up. And, you know, it's it's difficult, I feel, to ever truly fully prepare. So I've I feel like I would be the, the kind of person that would that would sort of be optimistic towards the world, you know, to try sure. to always reinforce the good things that are out there while at the same time, you know, I don't think that I could, I, man, it's tough. I don't know. I'm not going to be the one that's just like, so this is called, this is called genocide. Okay. Yeah. This is what happens when people do this. This is famine. Okay. When people can't eat and not like, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. It's pretty, I feel like it's, it's one of those, you know it when you see it type tests, right? Like there, yeah. there isn't a set structure for how you approach the things that you teach your kids about the world, but you know when you're talking to them or when you see it or as they're growing up, you kind of, I feel like it's more of an instinctual thing that you know when the time is right to share these sorts of things with them. Yeah. You know, I, I've i been reading a lot uh, about like, I've been doing this like, um, the psychology class online. And, uh, so one of the things that I've been reading about is like fixed versus mind, uh, sorry, fixed versus growth mindsets. And, uh, it's really fascinating, um, to think about like how to, how to figure out like how do those things occur? Right. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, 
um, that we owe children, you know, is that they need to see the world as something that is moldable, right? Something that is not sure. finite. And we as, a, we as adults, frankly, need to to have the same perspective. Um, you know, part of the part of the reason that we don't have great voter voter turnout in the in the U.S. is just general apathy that, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. What we do. And that's just that's simply not the truth. I mean, even just take the the environmental impacts of all of us being indoors for the last two months. You know, we had a hole in the ozone layer that that closed up. Animals have been, you know, out and thriving in, in national parks and uh, pollution in Venice is uh, in all the canals has gone down. I mean, the, the water is beautiful. I mean, so there are very tangible things that we can do as a society that if we come together collectively, we can, you know, Im- improve things. And I think personally, you know, obviously I don't have kids. We owe it, though, to, to children to give them that optimism. Right. And I think right. that uh, certainly, you know, Maggie Smith and, and some of the uh, interviews and, and articles that I read um, about her commenting on, you know, Good Bones um, being so popular. She certainly wants that to be the impression that it is supposed to be an optimistic thing that um, you know, she even made a comment, um, something to the effect of that. She's not sure that she could write anything pessimistic about the world for uh, for her kids. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I walked away, you know, it, it felt very jarring um, to read some of the things where she says, you know, half half of the world is bad. And, uh, you know, f- the kid, the kid being murdered for every kid being loved and like, you know, a sure. bird being killed. Like those things are, are things that, you know, while they're maybe not quantifiable um, in that sense, um, you know, are, are a harsh reality. And, and the truth is that not 50 percent of the world is 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 bad, not even close. Um you know, but there are a lot of things that we do have to face, and it tends to be, you know, whether it's news or through our friends or family or whatever, it seems like those things are much more pervasive than than they actually are. Um, but were there any other poems in this collection that, that jumped out at you personally, um, other than that one, which obviously caught on for good reason? obviously the titch of the poem yeah i liked sky i liked uh rain new year's eve those were two that uh, a lot of it was the 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 thing that kind of stuck out to me less less so i guess than the even just kind of the 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 narrative elements or the story was a lot of what kind of intrigued me was the language or just sort of the uh elements of description and those two stuck out to me particularly in sky and rain new year's eve i really liked the kind of the the imagery of that especially with sky and just the idea of walking you know through the sky the sky isn't above us you know it's around us it it extends you know from everything that the ground touches and so much of it you're sort of passing through i thought that was really you know that was a really enjoyable read and rain new year's eve too just kind of the uh again you know drawing on my uh newfound fatherhood um and just the the descriptions of how you kind of you know you you love it you you love it even though it's kind of wonky like things are all sort of wonky you know the yeah. range is kind of it's the same note and you know it's kind of like a broken piano you know it's just you would think you would get tired of it but it's kind of like those elements you know finding the elements that is actually you know those they things don't necessarily work out perfectly but it's in those imperfections that you can kind of draw those those moments of enjoyment or or love you know 
So those two really stood out to me. I like the mother. The the mother was interesting, less so for the, I guess, the descriptions within it and more so just kind of the the like rapid fire structure of it. I yeah. thought it was kind of interesting how it got across. What about you? Do you have any that like stood out to you in particular outside you know, of the the only the only two poems that I dog eared outside of Good Bones were also Sky and uh, and Rain New Year's Eve. Really, I swear to God, uh, you're such you're such a copycat. It's it's uh, so the the reason that I I think we're just on the same wavelength too much. I, I think yeah, creativity. Yeah, I think I think so, and only only becoming more aligned. It seems as we the more we read and, and talk about things. Uh, but the, the reason that, that I, that I picked sky was because um, I, I wanted to talk about like the sort of creative license that, that poetry um, allows you to use. So, you know, when, when we read, um, you know, like say journal articles or, or essays, um, those tend to be somewhat rigid in some of their like um, imagination. Right. Even even in fiction, um, you know, you still have some some constructs that uh, you you still have to operate, you know, with within Um, in poetry, though, you can really bog down on like a a, a concept like the sky being basically everything um, and not just the, you know, stratosphere that that you see and and think of around you and sure. To me, that is that is the the most quintessentially um, critical thing about poetry is that we often don't take the time to really think of these intriguing concepts and to really spend time on those things and um, present them as as singular ideas and, and kind of explore them. And she does a really good job in that poem of, of taking a unique perspective and you know, fleshing that out and and vetting that, and you know, obviously, you and I had the same reaction about like, wow, I've never thought about you know the sky like that, um, and that to me is is the thing that makes poetry so important as a literary form is that it's it's almost uh, meditative in both of it, both its utilization of language, but also just the fact that you can explore a concept like that in poetry, you couldn't do that in. Uh, in anything else, right? If you read a, a news article about how sky is technically all around you, and it was, you know, some, you know, stuffy dissertation on uh, on why that's the truth, you'd be like, okay, that's maybe that's interesting, but you know, you wouldn't have necessarily like an emotional reaction to it, like like yeah. I did with that one. Um, and then the reason that I picked the the rain one was just was just the language. Things are so simple in that poem. Um, but every single word works for um, for her throughout, and that is that is the thing as poets that um, you really need to focus on. Um, there is no room for extraneous language. There is no room for you know misplaced punctuation. Uh, I mean, even even the word choice uh, as far as like determining line length so that there is a visual you know stability to your poem or consistency. Um, you know, those are all things that have to be thought through. And, you know, I've, I've written a lot of poetry and it is, it is a fun, but arduous process to, to really consider, um, you know, things on, on that level. And certainly it's, it's done when you're writing a novel as well. 
but not to the not to the degree which you're um, you're scrutinizing things. And so that those poems I, I picked for those reasons were I think they were are really good indus, uh, illustrations and how you can get into uh, images and language, and you have to you have to really hone in um, on those things to make poetry work for for the reader. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I went first. I, <laughs> I feel like you're just piggybacking off of what I said, but yeah. in a more uh, poetically eloquent and, and well-thought-out way versus, you know, just me, caveman, me like words and funny description and familiarity. So one one thing I admittedly struggled with, and I I need to I need to do some more some more thinking and, and probably some external reading about this, but the did the image of the the hawk's shadow um, make sense to you when you were when you were reading it? Because I for some reason that just no pun intended went right over my head. Um, oh, that's pretty. That would have been great if you had intended that to be a pun, though. <laughs> um, yeah, it just kind of felt like that. I don't know, watchful gaze, like yeah. it was just kind of this like top down or or a more just isolated, separated sort of view situationally. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily something that uh, I connected with too terribly well. Okay. Did uh, did you like the cohesion? Yeah, all of- the yeah, all the all the hawk poems, I guess, were. Yeah, I don't know. They 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 were on the lower end of of sort of resonating with me there was there were there were some bits in here that i was kind of just like okay interesting less less you know really speaking to me but that's fair you know when you have a collection of 40 something odd or however many there was quite a few um you know if you have that many odd poems in here not every single one of them is going to just absolutely you know light up that center of my Mm -hmm. brain and just set me off on this intellectual tangent thinking about how it relates to my own feelings and thought in life so. Yeah. And I, I think, too, like there's there's still some elements of poetry, right, that like that can be difficult to to figure out so a lot of times that that has to do with like, um, you know, bringing our own perspectives to, to things. And matter of fact, I was I was um, reading a poem and providing some feedback um, on a poem for for a friend. And uh, I just I missed I missed the mark completely on on what she had intended and and after I had given her my feedback and and you know we met on it and 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 talked she explained it and then I was like well fuck of course this is this is what you meant and you know but you bring to to some of these these things your your own um experiences as well and you know certainly Maggie Smith is is really speaking to mothers in in this book and sure uh or this collection and i i I think that um if you're a mother you probably understand things a little bit clearly than you and i do right certainly me not having any kids at all um so it's okay to not to not to get everything um you know not every poem has to has to be decoded in your mind and and make sense and be this be this great epiphany, right? Just just like a novel, right. it's it's okay to read a poem and go, yeah, I don't get it, but you know, it's it's not bad. Um, there's there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with you as a reader when when that is when that is your reaction. Um, I I struggled with the hawk thing, and uh, I, what you just said, you know, makes makes sense to me. Um, but I still, I still kind of want to go back through and and probably give this a, a third read and see if I can 
if I can make that make more sense to me in in some way. Obviously, this was your choice to get on the show because otherwise, you know, I I haven't been really throwing up a lot of poetry collections for us to read (laughs) on this. But I know you being someone who uh, outside of, I guess, just your traditional fiction, you're 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 pretty deeply invested in poetry as a I guess as a form of Mm -hmm. art and your own participations within it. And I'm just, you know, again, coming from, I guess, the kind of caveman mindset of this this strikes me as sort of a an art form or i guess a subsect of literature i don't know if that's an appropriate uh uh, estimation to give it but it seems like it's something that it 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 feels very much like it's part of the reason why i feel like i haven't read read many you know poetry collections short of christina's last year and then maggie's this year is i feel like it's an art form that serves itself very well to these like single serve kind of i mean even the popularity and i'm assuming a lot of what a lot of kind of got this book you know or this collection pushed um was this kind of like uh viral popularity right where someone creates this and shares it and then it gets shared somewhere else and then it's kind of like you know it it runs rampant through a, a feeling or a group of people and I just that to me is is strange, uh, <laughs> I guess, more than anything else, because it seems like it's so I don't know, it's it's it seems like it's so disconnected from like the actual act of like having, you know, a, a book to crack open and read. I don't know where I'm getting at on this, but I know that you you had talked briefly about something maybe in those lines before the show, and I didn't know how you were really planning on curving us around into that but yeah i it's i'll just i'll just drunkenly back us into the the garage door on that one i I, that's a great image jacob that's that's fantastic i you know i i think it's i think it's nailed it like when when you think about like you know social media and, and just like viral videos and tiktok and all those those kind of things right like poetry as a writing form i think goes right along with our like diminishing sense of attention. Right. And, um, I'm, I'm always a little bit baffled that poetry, you know, doesn't have sections in, you know, like Barnes and Noble that contain many, uh, many large, you know, or I'm sorry, more modern, like poetry collections. There is a poetry collection in Barnes and Noble, but you're going to find like anthologies for, you know, people that have been dead for, you know, hundreds sure. of years in a lot of cases, right? You're not going to find stuff um, in most cases like Maggie Smith. I think hers might be there because her her poem went viral um, a few years ago. But th- there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to find there, and I always I always find that frustrating. Now, will I will say if you go to um, like a independent bookstore, um, like there's we have a great one in Dallas called Interabang. Um, they have a, a good poetry selection and it is, you know, it is more modern stuff. Um, so you can find things that probably speak a bit better to the times. Um, you know, but I'm always a little bit surprised that people, because of our diminishing attention span, don't seek out poetry a lot more, but there is this, this thing, um, with like Instagram poets, we call them. And, and so they're, there are a bunch of really, you know, popular ones. Uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is, um, what is her name? Rupi Carr. Um, she had a, a she had a collection called it was Milk and Honey um, that got 
published into a ton of different languages and sold uh, sold a ton of copies. Um, it was insane. And so you have all these, you know, these similar type poets um, who, you know, just sort of post Instagram pictures of like a poem. And have, have you ever seen any of those? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like people in their stories, they'll share. Sometimes it's like it, there's and that's the thing, too, is it's I feel like. I don't know where the line exists between a poem and just like a blurb. <laughs> like, yeah. Like someone that's like, I have this, I have this thought or I have this like insightful nugget that I feel I can communicate in a interesting way. And they share it versus like a poem. Like, I, I don't know where the barrier for that exists or does it exist? Is there like a set defined situation where one would be one or one would be the other? You know, it's, it's really, I don't know that there is a concise answer. So um, Rebecca Watts, who is what I would call sort of like an establishment poet, uh, wrote this this really divisive essay about these um, Instagram poets and, and one specifically um, named uh, Holly McNish. And uh, Watts' argument in that essay was that... Um, her that that work is is not worthy of being called poetry um and that it is you know an artless um i believe is is the word she actually used um and that you know it's it's more about the social media presence than it is about the art form itself sure and it's a really intriguing conversation. I, I, I had a I was on vacation a few years ago and, and had an extensive uh, conversation about this um, while we were driving somewhere. Um, and on one hand, uh, certainly you can make make the argument that, um, you know, a, a quick blurb like that, while it might be, you know, intriguing in, in some way or creative, uh, clever um, that it doesn't rise to the level of, you know, poetry the same way that, you know, we think uh, maybe less of like fan fiction uh, as a as an art form. Right. Um, I don't know if there's if there's really like a, a right answer with all of that. I certainly think that there there are always like levels of talent. Right. And I think that. um certainly poets who probably go through, you know, a publisher and, and, you know, the, go through the traditional route right. are more reputable, right? They, they have honed their, their craft as an artist, um, and mm -hmm. have, have achieved a certain level of, you know, I think respect, um, for their work that, that is probably more deserved than somebody like McNish, um, you know, who's just throwing up whatever she, she decides is, is the, you know, clever thing of the day. Um, but on the other hand, you can make the argument that the sort of viral nature of the of these Instagram poets is, in fact, helping traditional poetry um, by bringing attention to this. Right. And introducing um, somebody to that concept um, that otherwise wouldn't engage with it. Right. Like like I've said earlier, the stuff you read in school is not the kind of stuff that people are writing today. And if you put a gun to somebody's head walking down the street and said, you know, name me the you know poet laureate of uh of the united states they probably couldn't tell you who joy haro is um and that's because we don't have um the those conversations as the art continues to evolve evolve the way that we do with novels and and fiction 
And so I'm kind of in between. You know, I think I think the Instagram poets are, you know, probably somewhat useful to, you know, the greater like economy of poetry. Uh, but I don't value their artwork in the, in the sense uh, that I value somebody like Maggie Smith, um, you know, or E. Cummings or any number of, of people that, that you want to name um, that are what I would call actual poets. Um, but so so would you liken like Instagram poets to like the Sharknado of movies where it's like it's still a movie? Yeah. Right. Like it's it's still a movie. There is still some creative effort put in here. But to put it on par with like Shawshank Redemption, for example, would be uh, a rough comparison. Yeah. The the thing that I notice a lot about the Instagram poetry that that I've encountered is that um, it seems to be there for a very specific reason. Um, either it's it's sort of a self affirmation of 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 something, or it's just to simply say something clever, right? It's I sort of liken it uh-huh. to like uh, like quotes, you know, from important people, right? And there are plenty of people on social media that will, you know, post a, a picture of somebody's, you know, quote about something. And it's supposed to be this like decisive and, and clever thing uh, on a topic or whatever. And that's kind of the way that I feel about the a lot of the Instagram poetry that, that I've read. It doesn't rise to the level of, you know, making you necessarily think about something um, as literary as as traditional poetry. I guess that's fair. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't know that I would go out there and, uh, you know, do what Rebecca Watts did. Um, and to be fair, I'd, I've never heard of her uh, or read her work. Just so scorch, I, I don't. scorch Earth. Yeah, another another po- person that you, you don't necessarily, you know, know, although this, this episode is coming on the heels of me refusing to read a book that is atrocious. So um, maybe I'm a little bit hypocritical in, the, in that sense, but just, here we are. Just a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, that is another thing. It's it's the the parallels I guess between this conversation and our last episode just because the origins of sort of like fan fiction hodgepodgery that lended itself to some, you know, this wave of uh wave of enthusiasm towards the whatever the story that was being told that pushed it into actual like literary relevance, which is crazy to think of still but yeah that's yeah. that's still a whole other episode so want to take a stab at rating this collection we didn't it's our first poetry rating yeah I mean, it was your it was your pick you go first all right I'm, I'm gonna put this on the top shelf i think i've i've read a i've read a lot of poetry um there is a certain style that i like um that maggie smith hits on Voice cracked a little bit there. Yeah, okay? it did. Yeah, I don't know why. Are you being moved? Uh, Are you being moved at the moment? To yeah, it's just uh, uh, talking about this. But I, I do think that this this poetry collection is approachable. Um, there are topics in there that are timely, especially you know if you're our age where you you're having kids or you're thinking about the the world at large. Um, and I mean, it's just it's beautifully executed um, all the way through. It's it's truly one of the better collections that I've read in a long time. And, and I think she's, she's fantastic. So top shelf for me. Okay. Well, the caveman poet, uh, being me, 
Uh, I'm going to keep it, obviously. I think there was there was a lot of good stuff in there. I don't know, again, if I could put it on top shelf just because uh, of all the, if I look at kind of the totality of work in here, there was a relative few that actually stood out to me and kind of connected with me on a personal level or at least on a level of interest that made me kind of give it another go or give it another glance, you know, so, but I, I'm going to put it on the middle shelf. It'll be high up on the middle shelf. So it's still, it's still pretty, pretty well represented on, uh, on my shelf, but yeah, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to put it on the middle shelf. Okay. Um, so just one other thing I wanted to plug before we get into our next book, which I am really freaking excited about, um, yeah, is, is just sort of like where else to find poetry. And we, you know, we talked about this in the last poetry episode we did, but I, I, I want to reiterate that um, there are a few different ways to kind of engage with different stuff. So poetry collections can be expensive, right? Like you go out and buy it. Uh, you buy this book. It's probably what, 15 bucks or 20 bucks, um, maybe a bit cheaper uh, if you go to like half price books or something like that. And one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is like, how do I find more poets that I think I think that I would like? And so there's there's a few different things to do. Um, I would suggest that anybody who is interested to go sign up for uh, the Poetry Foundation's po- a poem a day. They literally just email you a poem for free every day um, by, you know, reputable uh, poets. And uh, and that's a really good way to uh, just get a good flavor of 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 things. The other thing you could do is, um, you know, subscribe to literary magazines. Um, so, you know, top ones being like the New Yorker, um, although they have, you know, a lot of different things uh, in, in the New Yorker. It spans a lot of different um, art and literary styles, but that is that is a good way. Plowshares um, is a great journal. Paris Review, Tin House, uh, New England Review, Kenyon Review, Harper's, Georgia Review, uh there, there are a ton of different lit mags out there um, that'll come out, you know, either monthly or quarterly, um, sometimes twice a year, whatever it is. And you can subscribe to those. Um, Barnes and Noble does have um, some of those, especially the some of the bigger ones that I mentioned. If you go to the magazine section, um, you can you can usually pick up copies of that. And if it's like a, a previous edition, usually those are discounted a couple bucks or they can be discounted a couple bucks. So that's a good way to go. And then anthologies are always a good idea. So, uh, Billy Collins was a former, um, poet laureate of, of the United States. And he has like the 180 and 180 more, uh, anthologies. Um, a lot of times, you know, famous poets like, like him will, you know, collaborate on, uh, on those anthologies. So if you can kind of hone in on, on some of those, those bigger names, um, a lot of times you'll find that they've, uh, been a part of a, a project like that. Um, and that's a great way to kind of consume things. And then the other thing I'll say is that, you know, if you have a specific subject that you're interested in, um, you know, like there's a, there's a great collection I read, uh, by Dante Collins called autopsy, um, that deals with kind of the black lives matter, um, kind of topics. Um, and not only is, is that a gut wrenching collection, uh, to read, um, it is it is obviously timely with you know some of the conversations that we've got going on you know in society if you deal with like grief you know obviously uh christina thatcher's got her collection there are a ton of other writers uh that kind of deal in that sort of thing so there's so many little niches in poetry that if you can think of something google it you can probably find a a poetry collection on it here here um all right let us 
talk about our next episode. What do we got? Let's let's do that. It's me. I've uh, it's me. Episode fifty-two. I've been excited about this one for a while, mostly because again. If you listen to the episode, episode 50 was kind of a layup, right? Like, it was like, eh, it's 50, 50 shades of gray. Let's just kind of, let's have some shits and giggles. You know, it's a little, <laughs> it's a fun episode. So this was the book that I was, like, really excited to get to. So I'm excited that we're, fi- you know, we're, we're, we're here. We're at this point. And the book, of course, is The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Uh, it's an interesting, it's, it's going to be a divergence from the things that we've read, uh, recently, I believe it's basically kind of interweaving the tales of, uh, the architect behind the world's fair in Chicago, just before the turn of the century, uh, along with, uh, H H Holmes, who's kind of a famous American serial killer who lured people into his like murdered castle dungeon, uh, under the guise of it being like a hotel for people to come to. And he had like all these crazy contraptions and dissection tables and gas chambers and just absolute insanity. And, uh, yeah. So this is kind of a blending of that and sort of, a a lot of the elements of what happened with some elements of historical fiction. So it's going to be excited. Yeah. Exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be exciting. I am excited about this as well. Vicky, my wife has, has read, um, a few of his books, I have had In the Garden of Beasts on my bookshelf and my, you know, to be read pile for uh, quite a while. I know Dead Wake is is also on there um, that that she read. I think that one is about the sinking of the Lusitania, maybe. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I have not been this excited to read uh, an author in in a bit um, because he's just been on my to be read pile for a long time. So it's gonna be a good episode. It's gonna be a good read. Exciting. And, and after do, that, do you I have anyone? I don't know that? yet. I honestly, I just, I don't know yet. I have a few things in mind, uh, but I cannot decide. So I'm going to, I'm going to hang off for an, another week or so and, uh, and come up with something. This allows us a little bit more suspense because we've had, we've had some of these set up for a while now. So give us, give us a little room for the next episode. So. Next episode is going to be on The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Thank you for listening, and until next time.